Welcome to the Crowdmakers, inside the C-suite of sports and entertainment, the definitive podcast on the inner workings of the business side of professional sports, concerts, and live events. These are the people that are shaping the new landscape of the industry, the executives that are creating the new paradigm for live entertainment. These are the inside conversations you won't hear anywhere else. These are the Crowdmakers. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the digital training network that uses micro-learning and spaced repetition to form new habits of success in sales, service, leadership, and more. Created by sports and entertainment industry experts for the industry. Learn more at ISBI360.com. And now, here's your host for the Crowdmakers, Bill Gertine. Hello and welcome to the Crowdmakers. It's Bill Gertine once again with another exciting episode of Sports and Entertainment Executives. Today we have Sean Ream with us. Sean is Senior Vice President of Team Ticket Sales for Cronky Sports and Entertainment, which includes the Avalanche of the NHL, the Nuggets of the NBA, Colorado Rapids of MLS, and the Mammoth of the National Lacrosse League. Sean, thanks so much for being a part of the Crowdmakers today. Uh, thanks for having me, Bill. So it's been the pandemic. Several months have gone by now. What have you been doing to better yourself? Is there a habit you've started, something you started reading, anything like that? Uh, I wouldn't say I started reading books, but um, I've, I've picked up a few uh, with, with the, the time that we have here. Um, I've been reading uh, Measure What Matters. Um, I found that to be um, a really great book to, to kind of sink my teeth into uh, as it relates to goal setting, which is um, anybody who's ever worked for me is is kind of a mantra of mine. Um, so that's been really good. And it's helped me to kind of reframe some of my um, my uh, thought process around leadership. Um, I've been, you know, working to try and fine tune the, the some of the processes and the, um, uh, the, the business strategies that kind of sit on the table and you wish you got to like whenever everything's crazy and you're in the middle of a playoff run or in the middle of renewals. Um, so we've been able to kind of dust off some, some long, uh, overdue, uh, brainstorm sessions and, and put those into practice. Uh, but ultimately, um, you know, it's a lot about managing communication and, 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 uh, connecting with the staff as much as we possibly can. Yeah. Well, your role involves four different pro franchises, very unusual title to have all of those that you work under the Avs in the NHL, the nuggets of the NBA, the rapids in MLS, and the mammoth of major league lacrosse. What's the status of each of those entities as we speak right now? As it relates to return to play. Yes. And turn to fans or return to play. Uh, it, for, for all those, it's, it's still very much a work in progress. Um, you know, I think the, the thing that is different than any other scenario we've been presented is we're, we're not dealing with necessarily a, a business reason why we're in where we are. It's, it's a pandemic and the business strategies that we put into place are revolving around a virus and, and not around, um, you know, an operational challenge like we've had in the past. So, you know, I, I, um, I, I'm in contact with our executive team who's, who's, you know, on a lot of these phone calls and, you know, a lot of the strategy that's that's coming up and a lot of the, the next steps will be determined by, um, you know, how we move forward for, with this virus. And so um, I'm optimistic, um, but we still have a long way to go. You had said in previous interviews that I had a chance to listen into that Denver is primarily an event-based town. 
Has the effect of the pandemic been more severe in Denver than other places, do you think? I mean, yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of young people in Denver that, you know, moved here and, and it's a growing city because we offer those events. So I, I do believe that it's impacted us, but I also believe that one of the things we're seeing is we have a, an audience here in Denver that um, what the industry is starting to call our early returners. Um, we're one of the markets with the highest percentage of early returners. And those are the people that tend to skew a little bit younger, tend to, you know, be a little bit less at risk, although I think we're all at risk to the virus, but a little bit less worried about the virus. And I, I'm hopeful that when we are able to truly, um, you know, get back to business as usual, I, I think Denver could be one of the first markets to bounce back quickly because of the demographics here locally. Good to know. Most everyone in sports can tell you exactly where they were and what time it was on that day in March when they first learned that things were going to be shut down. Where were you at that moment? Take us through what happened to you. Where were you? What was the situation? Well, ironically, um, you know, I think the, the, the kind of shot heard around the world was watching Mark Cuban look at his uh, text messages um, the, during that Dallas game. Nugs were playing Dallas. Um, when that happened. So I was sitting there watching uh, the, watching it live, right? Like I wasn't even tuning in from something else. Like that was uh, the national game that night. So um, I can, that'll be one of those moments for the rest of my career. I will remember the physical location and, and uh, you know, what was happening at that time. And I, I in a lot of ways, I, I don't know, cause I work in sports, I'm biased, but I feel like that was the same people who aren't even sports fans will probably remember that moment because that felt like the impetus for the real uh, shutdown that we've, we've been experiencing as a society, not just in sports. Yeah. So many decisions needed to be made very quickly for someone in a position like yours without a real playbook in which to work. What was an example of a mistake that you made early on that didn't feel like a mistake when you made it and perhaps what you may have learned from that? Um. I, I don't know if it was so much a mistake, but I don't think we got up our communication systems as quickly and mobilized as we probably should have. Um, I think that that only took a week or two for us to realize that. So it wasn't a massive error, but the very first thing that we needed to do was get on the horn and talk to our entire staff. And, and sometimes like the thing that I've learned in this situation is like, going out and saying, I don't know, is, is, is as important as um, going out and giving an answer. Um, there's a lot of people that um, have never been, I mean, it's not a lot of people, every single one of us has never been through this scenario and the strategy. So going out and just explaining where our heads are at is just sometimes helpful for our teams and our staff to understand, like, we're, we, we recognize the problem and we're working on it. Yeah. Well, communications and marketing is your background. And of course, ticket sales is a huge fundamental of what you've been about, starting with your first job in sports when you were the marketing intern with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's why you were still in school at Penn State. But you graduated with a degree in psychology, which I would love to have had at this point in my career. I used to think <laughs> psychology majors, what are you going to do with that? You can't possibly earn a living. But today, everything seems to be psychology. When did the desire to get into sports start to creep in for you? 
Um, you know, it's actually, um, I, I got into psychology because I had this, this weird um, thought that I might go and, and be a forensic psychologist. Um, I took my first uh, forensics class in my freshman or sophomore year and realized it was all numbers and I hated it. But I, I was enjoyed the psychology. I enjoyed those lessons. I just didn't know how and where I was going to apply it. And to your point, like I didn't see myself becoming a therapist, but sales started to speak to me a little bit. Um, I started to ask myself, like, what are my passions? And sports had always been a passion of mine. And so, you know, getting an opportunity to go and, and work behind the scenes with the, uh, the Steelers just confirmed um, that this was the right path for me. I'm not going to lie. Like, there's moments where I've fluctuated on that, like where some challenge has, has caused me to question, like, is this the right place or the wrong place? But I've always found my way back to this passion. And, um, you know, what, 16 years into it, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a part of me now. And I'm probably more passionate about the business of sports than I am what's actually going on in the field or the ice or the court. Well, that's what we all look for as we look for people to hire. So it's good that you have that in yourself. Very true. You officially got into sports at the minor league level. You started out as the group events manager for the Bowie Bay Sox. That, that, they're the Red Sox affiliate in Bowie, correct? It's an Orioles affiliate, yeah. Orioles affiliate. I, I, it didn't sound right when I said that, so I, I don't want to correct that. There is the Red Sox or the, the uh, Orioles affiliate. Oh, good. You then moved into the director of marketing for them for a few years. Is it true that minor league sports have some of the hardest working people? And are you looking, when you look to hire, for some of that chutzpah that minor league employees seem to possess? I, I do. I think um, I think there's something to be said for, you know, like my experience in, in minor leagues, I don't even know if it was legal back at the time, the amount of hours we worked uh, for the pay we worked, but uh, um you know, like we'd work 90 hours a week. We would, I would literally say goodbye to my roommate on Monday morning and I wouldn't see him till Sunday night because, you know, we would go in and, um, you know, on the weekends we had to go in at eight in the morning in case it rained. I'm not even a, a field, a field crew guy, but we didn't have enough people to pull the tarp. So it could be the weather forecast could be, you know, 10% chance of rain. And we still had to go in just in case that 10% uh, dumped some water on the field and they needed somebody to pull that out there. So like, it really builds, um, uh, you know, part of you that says like, uh, I can, I, I need to take on any challenges in front of me, regardless of whether it's my job title or not. And, and I think that that when you're, when you're looking for somebody in this industry, whether you came up in the pros or you came with the minors, like, um, I think that that's something that you covet. And, you know, I, it's weird, but I in particular really like hiring B2B people that come out of the minor leagues because, you know, in a lot of cases, like that's all those guys do is they're focusing on, on that sale. And, and, and we've had some of our best B2B people that have actually come out of minors, which, um, and group salespeople. So th there's a lot of skill sets that are taught at a very, in a very interesting, like trial by fire way that, that lend itself to when you get to a major league organization. Yeah. Well, you've been very successful in group sales. In fact, you got out of sports at a time doing, among other things, group sales for the National Museum of Crime and Punishment, which actually speaks to your forensic side, I guess. Yes. Do you think it's healthy for people to have a background in something other than sports that comes to work for you? And, and what kind of backgrounds do you think are valuable to have to succeed in our industry? I think, you know, 
I think that answer depends on the person and, and it really depends on their path. You know, I remember when I made that decision to leave, um, there's a lot of questions in my head, like, um, was I gonna be able to um, move up in the, in the position that I was when I was in the minors? Like, where was that gonna take me? And like, I think at that time, I was really trying to understand how sports fit into my, my career path. And I felt like I needed to go out and, you know, test other things to kind of confirm what I ultimately started with. There are some people in this industry that they will lock in on sports and they're never going to veer from it. And I don't, I don't necessarily encourage you to go out and test that if you, if you, if you really feel connected and that's not calling you, but I I've had several staff members and managers and people that worked for me over the years that have expressed that interest and I've never faulted them for wanting to go try something different because if I don't, if I hadn't left, if I hadn't, you know, sold printing for, you know, uh, the printing company I worked for, for six months, I don't know that I would, um, really truly understand the passion that I have today. It's good to know. I think for people that have had a little bit of a checkered resume, not for any reason of, of ill, not being able to do the job just because their passions evolve and change and you learn something and you're ready to learn something new. So I think it's probably comforting for some who are not necessarily employed right now and looking to hear that from you. And, and Bill, what's interesting is like when I left and I re-entered with the Coyotes, um, I re-entered with a very specific purpose and a plan at that point. Like I, I don't think I've ever been as focused in my career as that first day at the Coyotes is like, I want to run a ticket sales team. Like I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And it's only because I had gone out and literally tested the market and tested my, my skill sets and my passions somewhere else that I was able to refocus. We'll be back for the second half right after this. Hi, this is Bill Gertine. I've been training the ticket sales departments of sports and entertainment for almost 20 years. And I love what I do. But everywhere I went, the story was always the same. We loved what you did. You got us fired up. But after a while, we kind of lost the spark and we went back to the same old, same old. Well, not anymore. ISBI 360 is the first and only digital training network created exclusively for the specific long-term career needs of sports and entertainment professionals. Our seven different unique certification programs include the fundamentals of success in the industry, like ticket sales, sponsorships, social media, customer service, and leadership, all trained by industry experts like Brett Zelaski, Debbie Nolan, Misha Scher, and Seth Rabinowitz. ISBI 360 uses a unique four-stage learning process, including cutting-edge micro-learning videos, live recorded role plays, live coaching from industry experts, and an ongoing reinforcement program to make sure the learning sticks and forms the habits that your people need to grow and excel faster. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Check out what's different about ISBI 360 today. You came back into sports with the Phoenix Coyotes back in 2009 as a senior director of ticket sales. Pretty unusual for someone who's had a little bit of a here and there sort of, of history to come into that level of a job. What did they see in you that particularly was a good fit for a senior director level at that time? Uh, well, I started off actually my first role there was as an account executive. I literally came out 
and said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to start over again. Um, I'd been mostly group sales. I, I moved into a season sales role and less than five months after I had um, started, I remember as you asked about the moment where COVID happened. I remember the moment where um, we got pulled into an office and found out like the team was in jeopardy of potentially moving. And um, I remember that moment very specifically. And that's that created a lot of challenges, but it also created a lot of opportunity for me. Um, a lot of really talented people decided to move on, created an opportunity for me to step in. Um, I'd had a strong group sales background um, and they needed somebody to jump in there and lead. So I'd moved from group sales manager to director of ticket sales, senior director of ticket sales there. And a lot of that's because um, I was given the opportunity to jump at a pretty challenging situation and uh, I was able to take advantage of that. Um, I learned so much from that job. You know, all three years I was there, the team had the potential at the end of the year to move. And to try and sell a product like that, um, you know, really tests your ability as a salesperson and as a leader to dig down and find value propositions that aren't tied to the product on the ice. And that's lent itself to me in so many places in my career since that time, because um, you realize how important that is to the sales process. So, um, you know, I look at I look at the Coyotes as probably one of the most important times in my career at this juncture. Cool. Well, after three and a half years of that, 2012, you then took a real leap of faith. You became only the second director of sales at the National Sales Center for MLS up in Blaine, Minnesota. Maybe one of the most unique assignments in all of sports at the time. Yeah. You placed dozens of people within teams, many of whom are still there today. Uh, why have very few others in sports done a National Sales Center in a similar way, do you think? I think the, the MLS was the perfect time and place for that property. Um, it was a time for the league where a lot of organizations didn't have inside sales programs. Um, and um, we had an opportunity to impact the league in a very positive way from the league level by infusing talent to uh, the member clubs. And uh, I, you know, I know you, you work directly with Brett Zelaski and, you know, I have a very good relationship. We both say that that's probably the crown jewel on, on our resume. Um, I, I think there's an opportunity like for, for other leagues and organizations to take a, a, um, uh, you know, stab at that. But I also look around these leagues and I see how, how far inside sales has come. And it's almost like that, like, especially in MLS, right? Like the ML, like the sales center started, but you go look at the member teams right now and how much and how detailed and in depth the strategy is to develop people. It's almost like that's, that's why there may not be that need quite as much anymore. So um, we'll see, you know, I, I, th I think there's opportunities for second iterations of that and the support, but you know, when I moved to the Rapids, um, my goal was to not rely on that resource, but to develop that internally within our own team. And I think we did a really good job of that. Well, after that stint at the National Sales Center, you went to the Rapids for two years there in Denver, and then later became VP of Ticket Sales and Service for all four of the properties just a couple of years later. 
how challenging is it to keep your eye on several brands at one time? And, and what are some of the secrets that you've found since you're a goal setting guy? Uh, what are some of those things that you have found that help you keep it all straight? It's, and I learned this early, um, you know, in my time just managing one team is to not be the log jam. It's to find great people and trust them to to take on the, the objectives and the goals that are set in front of them and realize that I cannot impact or set every single strategy that exists for these properties. Like it's, it's not possible. And when you sit back and you realize like, okay, my job is to um, work with some really talented people and help mentor them, uh, you know, to a place where, you know, they can do that on their own and masterfully, um, it allows me to just basically set the direction and, and create check-in points with them to make sure we're on, on pace, but it requires a lot of trust. Like I've had moments in my career where I've tried to be the person that sets the strategy for every single thing. And I wind up, even though like, I, I, I really believe in my talents and my ability to be able to do that. Like me trying to take on the world, like is, is probably the worst strategy you possibly could ever have. You need good people around you at all times. We have great people here. Cool. Well, it, it's it's such a challenge to keep all of them together. And then when one has success, you want to be able to take advantage of it. The Nuggets had a phenomenal year this year, and yet you really weren't able to take full advantage of it because of all that's happened with COVID. What are you doing now to plan to take advantage of this streak that you're on with the Nuggets organization? This is one of the most interesting challenges that... I faced in my career when we were selling for the coyotes. And again, like at the end of the summer, you didn't know if the team was going to be there. Um, you still sat down and, and you sold and, and focused on what you could, like what is right in front of us? Like, I don't know what the product will look like. There's very little risk to putting down a deposit or starting to lock in your seats, but there is a big opportunity for a fan to take advantage of, the the dip in demand because i mean we got to the western conference finals and the nuggets um the few seat like we will at some place uh cap season tickets and this could have been the year that that had happened so anybody that's sitting on the sideline right now that is thinking about it this is a big opportunity and window for them to get in before that closes and the avalanche for a very long time held the 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 longest sellout streak of of any property um you know, in sports. And that's the kind of town this can be for both the Nuggets and the Avalanche. So people have been around, they remember that. And we kind of harken back to those days and say like, um, there's an opportunity with COVID to get in before, you know, we win a championship because we believe that that's coming soon on, on both of those properties. And so when you kind of embrace that challenge, embrace that, that opportunity, it, it, it empowers the rep. And, and I think that's probably the most important is the rep themselves getting on the phone call and believing in their reason for being there. Look, we're not, we're not anywhere near what we could be if this was a normal situation. Like I, I'm not trying to present like it's, it's a rosy, um, it's a rosy picture, but I will say like, we're in a lot better position because we have a competitive team and, and one that will, we believe will sustain itself for, for years to come. Yeah. Well, seeing the team this year, I tend to agree with you. It's kind of exciting to see some of these younger guys you have just come to, to coming of age. It was really fun to watch in the bubble. It's um, it's a fun time to be part of this organization, regardless of the pandemic. Like um, we have such a big opportunity in front of us, and um, 
you know, it's, it, this is the, this is the reason you're in the, the industry is to get, is to be parts of things like this. Yeah. There's so many storylines happening right now. Some having to do with COVID, some not. There's so many things to try to keep your focus on at one time. Is there something that you think is not being discussed right now that you think will become more important sooner than later that we're just not watching very closely? You know, I, I, there's a lot of discussions going on. I mean, what what a live event's going to look like is is probably going to fundamentally change. Um, but I, I'll focus on one thing with less about the, um, the live event and more about the, the sales strategies. Like, I think the way we sell is about to fundamentally change. I mean, the fact that, A, like I haven't been in the office and, and I've been able to and probably in many, many ways be more productive um, from my own home, I think is gonna change the nature and the way we office. I think as salespeople, the way we make phone calls, um, is going to change, like to become more virtual. Um, I think we've taken the stigma off of a, of a video call and probably not entirely, but enough at this juncture that everybody's used to it, where it's not creepy to press send on a video call and, and see somebody on the other side. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, this is going to push us in, in, in a lot of ways into a more of a digital sales strategy as well and trying to, um, impact not just with sales staff, but also from digital media and and how do we transact online? Uh, just given you know the lack of lack of ability to meet face to face for a period of time. So, look, I think it'll come back and I think it'll change. But in most cases in my career where change has been introduced, while it takes some time, it usually changes for the better. Is there in the sales side is really a, a place to focus in terms of what will change fundamentally? But is there anything else that you think this unique situation has given the industry a chance to do or maybe to be that may never come again? Is there a window that exists right here to change or improve something right now that you see? I mean, I think I, I think as a whole, uh, just the safety and the cleanliness of buildings is going to become a massive priority. And I think it's happening right now. I don't think we're missing that window. There are some super unique conversations just giving around like going around like how to the touchless um you know ticketing and 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 cashless buildings like i think we're going to go to a place where um, we are going to be as digital as possible and that is going to potentially drive the industry into a place where we have to innovate some really cool technology um, to solve some some problems that we have in front of us um, I don't think we're missing the window because I think a lot of people right now are having the ability to kind of take a step back and say, how do we redo? Um, so, but only time will tell, you know, I, I think we'll get out of this and say, did we capture that moment? And from what I can tell, just even talking internally and, you know, seeing across all four leagues, those conversations are happening. Very good. Well, to wrap up, I have a little fill in the blank exercise for you. This is that rapid fire. Just the first thing that comes into your mind as we answer these questions. You ready? Go for it. Your favorite binge watch during the pandemic? Um, Lion, or Tiger King was uh, number one, but I'm stuck on um, making a murder right now on Netflix. So I've been, I can't get away from watching that one. Besides sports, the one thing you've missed most during COVID? Uh, interactions with people. <laughs> I miss going, uh, getting a nice dinner and uh, hanging out with friends. 
the board game you thought you'd never pull out again, but you did in 2020? Um, we played uh, shoots or not shoots and ladders, Candyland with the kids. <laughs> Favorite musical artist on your workout mix? Uh, I'm really into Post Malone right now. Favorite sports team that you have not worked for? Uh, I was about to say Steelers. Um, Penn State. Uh-huh. The sit-down restaurant you're going to visit first when indoor dining is safe again? I would say Elway's. Good steak. Mm-hmm. Favorite comedian or comedian? Um, I'm really into Whitney Cummings right now. I've been watching a lot of her. Favorite thing about Colorado? Uh, weather. The biggest hurdle you have to overcome in the next six months at work? Uh, resetting goals and um, setting them for the future, having come out of what we're dealing with. Very good. And last one, one bold prediction you would have for sports and entertainment going forward? Bounce back bigger than ever. There you go. That's about as bold as they get. That's awesome. Sean, I saw I want to thank you for being a part of us. Sean Ream is the Senior Vice President of Team Ticket Sales for Cronky Sports and Entertainment. That includes the Avalanche, the Nuggets, Rapids, and Mammoth. Thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Of course. Thanks, Bill. Enjoy your day. If you enjoyed the program, please like us, share us with those you know, and hit subscribe on the podcast, and we'll let you know when another new episode is dropped. Your positive comments will help keep the Crowdmakers on the air. We'd be grateful for your five-star review. Got someone you'd like to hear as a guest on the Crowdmakers? Let us know, and we'll do our best to reach out to them. Drop us a note at info at isbi360.com. That's info at isbi360.com. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the first and only digital training network for sports and entertainment professionals. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Our chief engineer of the Crowdmakers is Ken Marinelli. Sean Quinn is our director of operations. Mark Yazowitz is the digital platform guru. And the executive producer of The Crowdmakers is Doug Quinn. I'm Bill Gertine. Until next time, thanks for listening, and so long for now. This is The Crowdmakers on the C-Suite Radio Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.